Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song Welcome to Radical Australia and the team is back the A-plus team. <laughs> Dale. Joseph. Where have you been, my dearest? Where uh, have you been? I've been in a hellhole. Hellhole. You didn't go back to Queensland, <laughs> did, did you? I did, I uh, did. Family visit? Yes, uh, oh, remedial. Nice. Well, it's nice to show a bit of respect to the elderly folk who brought you into this world, Empress. It's the very least I can do. It is the very least. <laughs> so we won't go into and that. And I do the absolute least, let me tell you. Yeah, look, I used to go through that. But you know what happens when you get older? <laughs> they die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. Okay, I'm but going that, to hell. So, so there is, unless you die first. Yeah, exactly. And there's always that possibility. And then you cause a lot of grief. Mm. Now, we've got a young guest. Well, <laughs> anybody under 80 is young in my eyes. We have Mr. Andrew Sinclair. Hi. <laughs> I don't get called that very often. It's, uh, it's a bit strange. But anyway. Don't tell me you're Andy, are you? Yeah, I'm an we're, we're going to have to call you Andy during this whole interview. Well, you can call me Andy, or you can call me Andy Jim, or you can call me Andrew. I'm happy Andy with all of them. Andy Jim. Mm. Andy Jim. Mm. Where does that come from? That's actually a nickname my godfather gave me when I was small, and uh, I made the mistake of telling uh, <laughs> Matt Gleeson, actually, uh, that when I met him. And uh, 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 he uh, it's and now stuck. you've made the mistake of telling me and one million two hundred thousand <laughs> listeners, mm. Andy Jim. Mm. I think I'll call you Andy. Sure. Yeah. Now, Andy, we only ask two questions on this program. The program's all about you. It's not about me. It's not about the Empress. It's about you. Now, if you are in a difficult situation or if I fall asleep, the Empress will come in. Excellent. But at my age, it's an occupational hazard <laughs> when you're interviewing for a long period of time. We have no ads. No community announcements, just you and me. There's two questions. The first question takes five seconds to answer, and the second question takes up the rest of the program. And the first question... Excellent. This is what I like, a very (laughs) compliant victim. I'm sorry, a compliant guest. Now, what year were you born? 1966. Well, he's not that young, is he, Dan? No. Well, go with it, though. He's a friend of yours, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah. I told you not to bring your friends into the studio. Oh, come on, Joe. You get enough of yours in here. I don't have any friends. Come on. I'm, oh, thank you, Dale. I'm, conspirators. I, I, just, fellow conspirators, acquaintances, people I meet in the street and say, you want to come into Radical Australia and have a chat? Oh, yeah. Now, born in 66, what's the first thing you remember? You know, I think it's probably being at a at a playground in the Blue Mountains on a, on a holiday and I probably was about four or something and having on a big parker and it's cold and there's one of those 
I don't know if they're probably not around anymore because they're too dangerous. But one of those big steel rockets that you could climb up inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember the, the rocket they were park. Good. So they were good. I was pretty excited by that. Yeah, I, I could be yeah. Yeah. Blue Mountains. Yeah, it's an exciting mm. place. I was there about a year ago. Very exciting. Mm. I actually stayed at the best hotel there. Mm. Up on the, you know, but I didn't pay for it. <laughs> I, was <gonna> <laughs> I was a guest. I was a guest speaker. Mm. What were you doing in the Blue Mountains at four? Uh, it was like a family. Holiday. We went there every year. Every, every year. year. So, where, yeah. where, where were you born? I was born in Sydney. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dale, can we terminate the interview? <laughs> you were born in Sydney. Born in Sydney. Yeah. Sin City, Sydney. Mm. What part of Sydney? Um, oh, it's funny actually. Um, I, I, I was adopted. Um, right. My my birth mother's from Colac, mm. um, but I was born in Sydney and I was adopted into a family in um, the North Shore. So I grew North up Shore. in East Kalara. That's mm. very nice. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was a bit of a hand grenade to tell us you were adopted this early in the interview. Oh, like you know. That out of you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, when did you realise you were adopted? Um, well, we were told pretty early, me and my sister. Well, you um, both adopted, were you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you yeah, very like, modern, forward-thinking parents for 66 or something. Yeah, I don't know. They weren't very modern, but they certainly didn't keep a secret about that. Yeah. Yeah, they were born in their 30s, so, um, you know, they were both teenagers when the Second World War started, so, right. 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 Um, yeah, it was interesting. Interesting. Mm. Is mm. your sister, uh, sister older or younger? She's younger, yeah. She's younger. Mm. She's still with us? Yeah, yeah, she lives in Sydney. She's um, she's a lawyer now, yeah. yeah she um, never, never escaped from the sin, did she? No, not at all. Yeah, still yeah. in Sydney. And, and um, your parents, are they still alive, your step-parents? Uh, my my um, adoptive parents? Mm. Um, no, mum mm. um, died in 1993, mm-hmm. and yeah, dad's still kicking along in his 80s. And, in his um, 80s, right. Yeah. What, what, was, um, what was life like as a young boy? Um, kind, of, kind of strange, I think. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I often felt... Um, I spent a lot of time by myself, right. you know, um, uh, I don't know. I just had more pleasure sitting by myself in my room, listening to music or reading. Or ah, you're a man um, after my own heart. <laughs> so There's nobody in the world <laughs> as good as yourself. I, look, I, I understand. Yeah. Being a megalomaniac, the best, I understand. The that. best relationship. Best ever, relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they never talk back to you mm. unless the voices come. Oh well, you know. Yeah, but that's a different. So, what type of um, what were your par- what were your adopted parents like? Really um, conservative, um, mm. socially and politically, mm-hmm. and um, I, and I don't know. It might have been, it might have been about the fact that they were like significantly older, and they seem to have stopped engaging with uh, the world. You know, sometime in the forties. You know, like um, mm-hmm. so they, you know, they they never listened to rock and roll music. You know, no. and I, th- I think about that because I'm, you know, I'm, so what the sixties passed them, the fifties passed them, even the fifties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> No so, budgies or widgies or no, no, no. like that, no. So, you know, I mean... Well, they weren't offshore. Yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. Mm, mm. So it was just... Um, I, it, I guess I became aware of um, the rules or like that there was a, you know, that there were rules that they lived their life by that didn't really make much sense to me. Right. And... Um, give, us, give us one example. Oh, I don't know, just something tedious like I, you know, I get a birthday present and now I have to ring that person after the fact and say, 
Thanks for the present. That's you know. bloody manners, you, you, you viscous, you know, vandal. But, but, That's manners. Uh, but it just, you know, <laughs> so you someone who it. I might have even seen on yeah. the day. I mean, I yeah. still had to, you know, yeah. ring them afterwards. And, and just just little things like that. Um, mm. Just that, that, that these... Uh, I, I think in my early 20s I picked up a copy of um, The Open Society and Its Enemies by mm-hmm. Karl Popper. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And... Um, and, you know, he talks about in a closed society, people make no distinction between a social law and, and, a, and a physical law. Mm-hmm. You know, law of gravity, law of ringing someone after you get a present. They're of equal weight. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> and, and, and I guess, um, you know, I didn't uh, – when, when I became aware of, of these – the arbitrary nature mm-hmm. of these rules, uh, I hadn't mm-hmm. read Popper at that stage. But, you know, that's very much – Something that you know struck me pretty early on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Did, did you understand what being adopted was when you were told? Um, well, I knew that um, you know I hadn't been gestated in my mum's womb. You knew yeah. that, right? Yeah, you understood that, right? <laughs> yeah, and there, and there, and I felt differences between um, um, what happened, my family life, and and the family life of um, relatives and friends, mm. and that wasn't purely about being adopted. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, we, I knew it was different. Mm. Did you go to preschool? Yeah, um, I went to I went to kindergarten in um, in uh, in Kalara. Yeah, in Kalara. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's there's some early memories from there too. Actually, tell us about them. Oh, God. <laughs> no, God's not going to help <laughs> God will not help he you in this there. room. This is, Actually, I've got three, this is a godless I've got, room. I've got three memories of kindergarten. Right. One is oh, a couple of weeks in, just one day going, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and, and, and you know, they kind of had a, had a big, like, uh, cyclone fence yeah. around the outside. And I remember, like, climbing up it and clinging to, the, clinging to it on the inside, going, Mum, don't go. Don't leave. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty normal. The other one was uh, Jane Ogilvie in the sandpit um, sh- <laughs> showing me her vagina and asking me to show her my penis, but I was too shy. It's amazing you still yeah. remember the young woman's name. I do, actually. It is interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's those names you do remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't remember any of that. Yeah. <laughs> and the third one was getting explosive diarrhoea, but um, <laughs> I don't know why I remember that, but they're the three memories I have. Oh, that's fair <laughs> enough. They're all important milestones <laughs> in your yeah. development. It's quite a scope. Yeah. <laughs> So where'd you go to primary school? I went to um, Linfield East. Linfield East. Yeah. Was that a public primary? Public school, yeah. Public mm. school. Mm. What was life like there for a, um, a young lad? You know, it was, it was pretty fun um, until... Um, until? The beginning of sixth grade when I had a unfortunate run-in with um, oh, this teacher and he was, God, he was, a, he was an arrogant wanker and um, <laughs> you get them. You're allowed to say names too. This I can't remember his name, actually. <laughs> might have been Mr Pritchard or something. Anyway, and he was acting principal at that time and he had this student teacher who, you know, even at a young age, it felt to me like there was something inappropriate going on between them. Like she was mm. kind of young and, and uh, stereotypically pretty and a bit of an airhead. And um, anyway, apparently I was talking in class, which I, to this day, don't think I was. But um, <laughs> he, he harangued me about it until I was in tears. Mm. Um, and I couldn't stop crying for about two hours. Actually, it was really mm. rough. And um, and that's that's when I started um, getting bullied. Actually, mm. yeah. It was After that, like, people yeah, saw you had a weakness. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It was interesting. Mm. Yeah. And how were you bullied? Oh, you know, just things like pencil case thrown out the window, or mm. you know, just mm. kind of not not dumb not, shit. not not the fifties, sixties stuff like in my area when you got beaten to a pulp. That didn't happen. There wasn't there wasn't really much of that. 
No. Yeah, it was the North school. Shore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah. uh, did you excel at anything in primary school? I was always pretty good academically, yeah. Mm. I mean, that was um, that was another thing that set me apart in my family because, you know, no one else had any academic leaning and it was something that just kind of came naturally to me and so it kind of it set me apart. Oh, no wonder you stay mm. in your room all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the life you could discover pre-internet was much more interesting than outside, yeah. 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 Mm. And uh, high school, where did you... Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So it was uh, definitely private school. Yeah, and, oh, um, private school, yes. We can yeah, understand that. Yeah, and um, so I, was, I guess, um, well, I was given the choice. Mm. Um, I could have gone to the local high school, Kalara mm. High School, or mm. which is where L. McPherson went, actually. Mm. Um, that one. Oh, mate. <laughs> and, um, well, he did have his little mate in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, or um, the school that my father went to, which was um, Cranbrook in uh-huh. the eastern suburbs, right. or to Knox, where they'd put me down, um, you know, at a young age. And actually, I thought, you know, maybe I can escape the bullying by going to a different school. Right. So I, I went to Knox. Yeah, mm-hmm. went to, and that was a, that was an eye opener. Why? I think. About the arbitrary application of authority. Like, uh, that's something that I saw on a daily basis. That's a basis. big word, arbitrary application of authority. Yeah, where, uh. where, where authority is wielded to, to let you know where you stand, not mm. for any other purpose, not mm. for an educational yeah. purpose mm. or a safety purpose. It was mm. purely about mm. about that, yeah. yeah. Well, you, about power. Yeah. Mm. Well, mm. you were a little runt, weren't you? Oh, you know, tall and skinny. Tall and yeah. skinny. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you had pretensions. To be an academic, <laughs> come on! Yeah, oh come oh, on! Yeah, you're a you were easy meat, as they say. Well, you know, it never really got applied to me because you know, pretty well. If you soon work out, you know, you just keep your head down and right. uh, why get into trouble for no reason? You know, do Sorry. what you like, don't get caught. Mm. So, as a <laughs> skinny, tall person, did you excel at sports? Oh no, I was terrible. You're terrible. Yeah, really bad. No, yeah. no coordination. Yeah, yeah, really, very um, disconnected from my body and yeah, um, and uh, not naturally good at anything. Right. And um, sporting wise, that is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like orienteering, I went all right. Orienteering, yeah. that's okay. Well, that takes a bit of intellect, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's right. It's not from you know, running from A to B. Yeah, you know, I can, you know, yeah. I can read a map. Yeah, yeah. they could say, <laughs> look at him; he's good at orienteering. Oh, and I only did it. It was, it was the training took too long, so I stopped doing that. Yeah. Right, right. And, and in high school, do you have any extracurricular activities? Um. That you can talk about? Oh. Well, you know, I was quite the nerd, so um, I did um, play a lot of um, role-playing games and, and board games, you know, uh-huh. that's pretty much every weekend. And I was in the chess club. In the jazz club? Chess. Chess. Chess club. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Mm. yeah after my own heart, have you ever, <laughs> do you play computer chess? Uh, not very often. I'm no. kind of, um, uh, I've got an aversion to rote learning, and so my opening knowledge is quite poor, and most people with any skill can get the jump on me then. Oh, right. Um, so... Uh, if I think the, the person I'm playing is is good, I would probably try and play something really obscure like um, the Sokolsky opening or something uh-huh, like that and uh-huh. try and trick them. And, uh, right. than, you know. That's what chess is about, isn't mm. it? It's a limited number of computations, mm. not unlimited. So the chess club, well, how did that work? Um, well, that was, like a, that was like a bit of a haven, I guess, at school where, mm. you know... The, the nerds went. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's <laughs> right up place. in the... Top corner, and I found that probably at the end of year seven, and uh, uh, or you know form one as it was uh, called, mm. and um, 
Yeah, you could just hide away there before school, during lunch hour, after school, and just play chess. Well, nothing wrong with that. Mm. Uh, look, I, I think that was great. <laughs> Reminds me of my own childhood, mm. but we didn't play chess. I think we played battleships, but we weren't didn't have the same intellect, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, what year did you graduate? Uh, Nineteen eighty-four. Eighty-four. Yeah. yeah. And did mm. you flying colours, academic or material? Um, well, yeah, I mean, that was, um, that was, so that was the HSC. We got a mark out of 500. So, yeah, did, did pretty good. Come on, tell us your mark. Nobody listens to this oh, program. 456. Yeah. That's so, brilliant. Yeah. So it was, you know, enough to do whatever I wanted at uni. I think the, the, the hardest thing to get into at that stage was something like science law, and that was about 426. Even medicine was a bit lower than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. But, um, I just, yeah, so did, I went to Sydney Uni and did a, did a bog standard science degree, and mm-hmm. to the surprise of some. Might the surprise of some. I remember running into one of my old school uh, fellows, and you know, it's, and uh, you know, he was surprised. He said, "Why aren't you doing medicine?" And I said, "Well, I don't want to be a doctor." I can't understand yeah. why. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was surprised that you know that, about, that uh, you're had, wasting I yourself on a bog science degree yeah, to yeah. do something of high status, and I'd yeah. elected not to. And yeah, uh, I just wanted to know how the world worked. Mm. Well, it's not really a. Ticket to fame and fortune. No, no, it's, the world not, it's not. Um, it's not. Um, you know, I've, you, and like you know, my my degree was free, so I was you know I got in before Hex and yep, yep. and so that idea of a liberal education and and learning for its own sake in order to understand the world we live in. Um, you know, that was possible in mm. a way that it's much harder these days. Oh, well, it's mm. impossible. Continuous mm. assessment was the death of. University mm. education, mm. deaf of it, you know, you become like a little robot. Did you have to do continuous assessment? Um, no, no, it was all it's just, just horrendous, you know, exam based, and yeah. yeah. I mean, at least you sank or swam at the end of the year or the end of the term or whatever, <laughs> you know, and you yeah. could actually have a life in between. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I've got this thing about continuous assessment. I just, I think it is the death of education. It really is. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like the. The industrialisation of in, of education, you know, you've got to be there, do that, do this, do that. So I remember when I was at university, before you were born, <laughs> <laughs> no, just after you were born, mm. it was totally different. You just had your exam at the end of the year and mm. if you didn't bother going to lectures and you failed, well, you failed. Mm. But you could also not go to lectures and pass, mm. you know, but this would never happen now with continuous assessment, you know, and assignments and stuff. No, it's bullshit. So, did you get your degree? Yeah, yeah, finally, yeah. What do you mean finally? Oh, well... Um, what happened? Did the world intrude or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, um, you know, on the one hand, I was, you know, extremely nerdy and, and academically inclined, but on the other hand, you know, I really wanted to get into the, the juicy bits of life. and Juicy bits? The juicy bits, yeah. I think, um, like, I remember, I think I read, uh, I think when I was in first form, I mm. got lent um, a Philip K. Dick book, uh, A Maze of Death, was mm-hmm. that, that one, and... Um, and I guess, you know, starting to read more interesting literature um, or people whose writing kind of pushed the boundaries of, you know, what it meant to be alive. And, you know, I really wanted to take drugs and... Mm-hmm. and um, Sex, rock and roll. Sex, oh, and, and jazz. And, and, well, not so much jazz, you know. Um, <laughs> I started listening to punk music and around 14 or so and... Mm. Um, and so, yeah, just this, this this idea of another life outside of this very comfortable, mm-hmm. easy path that was before me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just couldn't wait. And uh, the opportunities took a while to arrive because I was so nerdy and shy. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, by the time I um, 
had done a couple of years of uni, like I had found people who like taking drugs and mm-hmm. doing interesting things. And so um, I ended up um, taking a year off after two years because I, I failed the first thing in my life, in, uh, second year organic chemistry. You uh, failed organic I failed chemistry. The, I failed organic mm-hmm. chemistry because you just have to learn these reaction That's pathways. Right. There's, no, there's no way around it. No, you, um, no, you can't just work learning. them out. You just no. have to write, learn them. And I didn't. No. And I failed, and it was quite an eye opener. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, you failed. I can't, I can't. I cannot believe you failed organic chemistry. <laughs> I, even I passed organic chemistry. Yeah, yeah. That's saying something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the physiology was my problem. Yeah, but so being a doctor, you know, it's always a worry that when physiology is your problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. Well, I won't get my next operation from you then. Uh, <laughs> shake your hands, mate. Too old. <laughs> Gave that up. Mm. Now, coming back to you, obviously, this is about mm. you. So, um, how long did you last at university for? Yeah, well, I guess I finished my degree in. Mm. Um, I did the last year in 1988, and um, uh, and yeah, I was offered honours, and and I did, it was just this kind of narrowing of focus and it was the last thing I wanted to do right. um, you know uh, it's a guy I went through high school with and I started going to uni with and he was did not party ever mm. and he so he got high distinctions all the way through and yep. so while I was you know I took a year off and he kept going and I did my last year you, 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 hang on hang on yeah. hang on hang on you took a year off yeah, I took a year off in after sec, two years of uni. What did you do in that uh, year? Actually, well, they had this year in industry program for chemistry, which I took advantage of, and um, ended up working for Ajax Chemicals in uh-huh. uh, Silverwater. I oh, think I got uh, a bomb maker for a minute. I was a bit no, 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 I was just working um, for Asia or something. <laughs> no, just test, testing um, testing chemicals that were going right. on to different, you know, mm, either to laboratories mm, or to mm, factories or whatever to different standards. And um, mm. and I wanted to get out of my family home. I wanted to. You still at home in, in yeah. your twenties. Well, at at the age of twenty, I uh, took this year off, started earning enough money to right. move out, which I did as soon as I could. Of course, yeah. 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 What did your poor little sister think about that? I don't know. Like I'm pretty <laughs> much disengaged. Like she was very unhappy from a very early age and blamed that on the fact that she was adopted. And so family life, there was a lot of screaming and shouting happening out in the rest of the house because right, I was right. in my room. room so, yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, really, away from it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, you know, she had a propensity to attack me randomly at various times for no particular reason, verbally oh, wow. and, and quite horribly. So uh, I just kind look, of tried to stay Andy, away from her. Look, look Andy, Jim, look, <laughs> I, I have to tell you this. Mm. With, if this is, is adopted or not, we've all got the same stories. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I actually don't. I don't think so. I think that yeah, it was quite extreme. And, extreme. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, let's yeah. not. Let's not go down yeah, that yeah, path. Yeah. We don't want to. <laughs> yeah. you know, we don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Do that. So you left at twenty. Yeah. This interest in punk music did you develop. Yeah. Um. I guess. Um. Well, the other thing that happened in. 1988 was, you know, I guess that's sometimes referred to as the second summer of love. You know, there's a mm. suddenly ecstasy appeared mm. on the scene, and um, I was um, quite enamoured of that and um, of the music scene around that. So I used to go to a lot of the big kind of gay warehouse parties in Sydney that, mm-hmm. that were on places like the Horden Pavilion and stuff and mm-hmm. thousands of, you know, mostly gay men completely um, off their faces and dancing to um, to, to clubby, club music, which um, I didn't think I would like, but I ended up uh, liking dancing and it was kind of how I found my body was through mm-hmm. dancing. And through, through dancing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So why were you going to a cl- gay clubs? To, to dance and get to dance, high. Yeah, get yeah. high. Mm-hmm. So... Tell us about ecstasy. A lot of people see. A lot of people make the mistake. They think people who take drugs 
basically are losers. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So tell us about ecstasy. Um, you know, I, well, I think one of the – it did two things for me. One, it, it helped me find my body. And two, it stopped me being a, a drunk because I was quite a binge drinker in right. my teen years and, mm-hmm. and into university and um, – and, you know, ecstasy doesn't really work if you've got too much booze on board, so I stopped drinking pretty much. Mm. And, and But yeah. what did ecstasy do for you? It, um, well, it, it, I think it's a good name for it um, <laughs> in terms of the, the sensation. Right. Um, and it allowed, disinhibited me to the point where I could move to music. Right. Um, in a way that I couldn't before. And... So what, it stripped all those layers that yeah. you built up over the years. And there's lots of there's lots of there's a cultural scene surrounding it as well that mm. um, would open doors of the mind. <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. I think it's funny. Um, I, I think it's um, common for people to discount insights they might have into the nature of reality or themselves when they're high. Um, unnecessarily so. Um, uh, you know, I was always happy to kind of test those well, ideas and feelings outside. Well, aren't most religious beliefs based on that concept of being high, whether it's through chanting, whether it's through mescaline? Well, or, exactly, you know. You know um, uh, that gives you that contact with mm. whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think is the word the numinous, you know, mm. the, the direct experience of God, you know. Mm. And, and as an atheist, I kind of st- I struggle with the, the language and trying to find a way to describe it. But... Um, um, you know that it's a mistake to limit yourself to the rational. You know that there's more to being a conscious being than that, and there's this visceral reality of being a, a meat machine that you know I, I found it important to engage with. You know, mm-hmm. and and not be just a head on a stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Did you? Were there any? Uh physical consequences or uh, mental consequences for psychological consequences during that period? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to say, like, because, you know, nothing's simple. Everything's a, an interaction of all these other things going on in your life and stuff. And um, I think uh, I think the consequences were overwhelmingly positive for me. For you, yeah, right. Yeah, had, right. you know, pretty positive experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, well, high and um, and it, and it made me, you know, explore things like, you know, I like dancing all night while I'm high. Is it about being high, or is it about dancing, or what's the thing? So, you know, I'd experiment and go, all right, well, tonight I'm not going to get high. I'm just going to dance. And mm. is that still pleasurable? And yes, it is. And do I still enter an altered state? Yes, I do. It's not as strong, um, but you know, it just gives you. You know, you mentioned before things like chanting and, you know, religions have a lot of technologies for entering altered states and I don't think that the theoretical um, framework that they rest that on is true, but nevertheless the techniques work. Mm. And um, and it's it's interesting to play with them and see what see what you can do. What's what what's possible? You know mm. what's what what is possible to do with with yourself and with your consciousness. Is this and what you mean? Sorry, sorry. I'm just just and to take it out of uh, some arbitrary moral realm. You know, yeah, because right. everyone associates yeah. moral judgments to you know substances that are, you know yeah. can't be good or bad by their nature. They just are. Yeah, it just it just is. You know, you so, know, we ascribe value. There's no 
There's it's no a bit external. like nuclear bombs, you know. Neither good or bad, unless you trigger them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you put value on, um, you know, human life and and mm. uh, sustaining it, then you know, nuclear bombs are bad. But you know, you have to bring that initial <laughs> that like, initial value judgment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I'm int- that I like about your politic is is it's very pro drugs pro sex it's it's um taking away a lot of the the learned moral inculcation yeah that's right yeah 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 because i guess social laws arise for a purpose but those um purposes aren't always <coughs> uh friendly to the individual mm. and sometimes those original purposes get forgotten and then you just get this right application of mm. of um, systems and, and practices without really any... Goes back to your high school experiences with authority? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the mm. most trouble I ever got into at school was um, forgetting a mohawk mm-hmm. because of the threat to the school English. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's... Uh, yeah, this is Radical Australia. It's 4.31. We're uh, mm. chatting, not interviewing. We chat with Andy Sinclair, who's got some interesting life experiences to share with us, boring old far. <laughs> and the Empress, obviously, who's part of his mob. <laughs> All, right. All right, so how did you uh, sustain yourself financially during this period? Um, where are we? Oh, Sydney, 88. Sydney. Yeah, so, um, so 87 I got that job uh, in the factory and got out of, um, got out of um, my parents' home and um, was living with... Um, my girlfriend at the time um, and some friends and, you know, to, my girlfriend at the time and I had a frank discussion and she, you know, basically she was looking interested in getting married and I wasn't and um, so she moved out and I stayed there, went back to uni, got a job in a hardware store on mm-hmm. the weekend, so I was at uni five days a week. Because I was doing chemistry and there's a lot of lab work in that and I'm really bad in labs, um, I'm just not... Gangly and you break <laughs> Well, you know, it's just, you know, you've got to be incredibly precise and so they give you an amount of lab work to do over the semester and uh, it mm. would take me the entire semester to get it all done. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so it was a pretty hectic year uh-huh. and probably another factor why I didn't uh, go on and do, uh, you know, stopped being an academic um, because... That was a big year, yeah. Eighty-eight, yeah. Well, to me, to me was, I was in Sydney in eighty-eight, mm. bicentenary. Yeah, uh, you forgot yeah. about it. Well, just oh, I remember that. I remember that. Um, remember that, that was the first yeah. time I took acid, and I was um, <laughs> I was staying at. Uh, we were at a, a friend's apartment. They were in Milsons Point, right under the beautiful Harbour Bridge there, and oh. um, it was a funny place because they. Uh, you know, there's a group that was what we connected us was our desire for altering consciousness, and we took a lot of we took a lot of acid and and mm-hmm. other drugs like that. And but that was the first time. And I remember running out of that apartment, and there's crowds <laughs> of people celebrating this fucking joke, and and we were just laughing our heads off and running through them like they were like mm-hmm. they were set mm-hmm. in stone. And mm-hmm. and it was yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty good feeling. Yeah. Mm. You know. Mm. So how long did you last in Sydney? Uh, till um, ninety five. I left. I left at uh, the beginning of ninety six. Yeah, I'd um, uh, spent a few years. Uh, oh God, those last. Those, it was. It was good and bad. I was in um, quite. Um, I guess in a, a, a not a very good relationship, um, but at the same time, I was um, playing in bands and. Um, mm-hmm. Playing and, and in playing. bands. Yeah. Playing in bands. Mm. Playing what? 
playing bass, playing like psychedelic, psychedelic noise, basically, and rock and stuff. When did all this start? Um, that started. Oh, so I finished. I finished uni in '88. So '89, mm. I decided that I needed to get a job mm-hmm. um, in order to keep. Partying, <laughs> well, keep partying and keep living in you know out, and, in, yeah. independently and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and there's not much work for someone with a basic uh, degree in chemistry and maths because you know either you either you do a more basic qualification like a TAFE qualification, then you can get a job in a, you know as a you know as an industrial chemist type thing, or you go on into academia. And I did neither of those things, and um, they ended up just taking the first job I could get, which was um, working for um, Australian paper manufacturers in Oberon, which is a small oh, town in the Blue yeah. Mountains. Um, back to the Blue Mountains. Yeah, called and, uh, you back, didn't it? Oh man, it's the <laughs> arsehole of the universe, Oberon. <laughs> King of the fairies? No, it was the most redneck, insular, <laughs> unfriendly place I've ever been in my life. And what Oberon? Um, yeah, that's because yeah. you haven't been to Rockhampton. <laughs> yeah. and um, and we were making medium density fiberboard. It was uh-huh. the first continuous roll press, yeah, medium density fiberboard press in Australia, and that was, I guess, my introduction into the corporate world. And it, it always makes me laugh, you know, when I hear people say, "Oh, you know, you should the private sector and they're more efficient and run things." It's like, no, no. that no. bunch of cowboys are fucking that's idiots. Right. <laughs> and I just what it just yeah it was yeah it was quite an eye opener and, and a good experience. In, yeah, in that good sense. experience. But, yeah. How long did you last? Ten months. Ten months. Yeah. That's all right. You should get a medal for that. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, you know, did you, did you have long hair then? In that? Yeah, I did actually. Um, yeah. that's, uh, well, what do they think about that? I remember when I moved. I, moved, I got an apartment above the, the hardware store in the main drag, and one of my um, friends from Sydney helped me move in, and and we walked into the the local pub. There was actually five drinking holes in a population of eighteen hundred, but yeah, this, well, was, that's, this well, was, was the that's, main that's the main not... pub on the main drag. And from the doorway up to the bar, it was huh. just you fucking faggots and the fuck you. And we just walked out to the bar and got a six pack takeaway and walked out again. And, um, so that was pretty much. And every weekend, I would just drive down to Sydney and party. And then oh, go, go, back, go back, back up again. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty grim. And yeah. this was in the 90s? <clears throat> this was in 1989. 1989, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. So, what drove you out of Sydney? Um, it was a combination of things. Um, I was, I'd spent a few years working with adults with intellectual disabilities. Right. Yeah. I think it was this, you know, I did this factory job. And I come back and I just thought, I can't do this work. I can't do this. I have to do something that's meaningful, you know. I have to – I don't – you know, it's probably a throwback from, you know, the Protestant work ethic that was really ingrained into me growing up, you know. I don't – I don't want to be on the dole. I want to. I want to make. I want to earn my keep, but I don't want to do something that is bullshit. Yeah, you, you want to make a difference. Yeah. So, um, so I end, I well ended up actually initially. I went back to uni and did a dip ed, and I became a high school maths teacher, which I did for one year, and then I decided I actually can't be a teacher. <laughs> I can't be a teacher. Um, part of that was about. Um, part of it was about. You actually have to work really hard to be a teacher, and I don't want to work that hard. No. I just don't want to work that hard. And, you know, it's you need to be there at 8, and you're there until 5, and you need to do work every night, you know, to be a good teacher within the, the to system. To do it right. Yeah. yeah, and I was just like, oh, I'm going home and put, I'm punching cones. Right. And that's probably I, – I don't, I don't want to be a bad teacher because I saw right. a lot of them, and I don't want to be one of those, those people. And the other part was that, you know, so, so much of school is about – creating little social units, people who fit in. And if you don't want to teach like that, 
you don't have a lot of support and it just makes it harder. You know, because I was, I spent, mostly casual, but I spent three months in one school in Parramatta and, and um, you know, pretty much my my opening lines to a class would be, I'm not your boss. I can't control you. Mm. I do not want to make you do things you don't want to do. If you want to learn the stuff, I will help you as much as I can. And if you don't, can you just be quiet? So right. other, you know? <laughs> and, I, and things like, you know, I don't want to give people detentions, you know. It's just mm. seems, again, you know, why, why I don't need people to do what I say. Mm. You know? mm. How did that go? Um, Were they quiet? Uh, it, was, it took a little while, especially with some of their younger classes, but they oh. got it, you know. And it was a very specific moment in, I think, with a year eight class. So you can't control us. It's like, I don't want to control you. Mm. I don't want to control you. And they finally got it. And, and um, it's interesting. So some of those kids went a lot better under me than they had under their previous teacher. And some of them went worse because right. I wasn't making them work. You know, enforcing them. But you still haven't told us why you left Sydney in 1995. Oh. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Because I'm, we want to get on to your real life here oh, in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, I got to, I got to that, um, you know, I had to stop. I decided to stop teaching and someone else, should, you know, was in a share house said, oh, this is the work I do. I think you might like it and, and you'd be good at it. And so I did. I got this work um, working with adults with intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. And um, and I did. it did feel meaningful and and again, an insight into a group of people who, in our society, are very, very undervalued and dehumanised, and and the the pay for that. Like I was getting paid less to work with people around teaching them social skills and living skills than I was working in a hardware store three mm-hmm. years previously. And still the same. And um, still the same. Yeah, mm. and no, and no penalty rates. And so I ended up like working um, that last year, like a tw- twelve-hour shifts on a Sunday, mm. at just a bog standard mm. rate. And and working with a, a guy, I spent most of the time working with a guy who he had a moderate intellectual disability that had been exacerbated by being in a house fire when he was very young and smoke inhalation had caused a brain injury and he'd lost half a foot. And um, he had, you know, gone to a special uh, school, but then when he'd um, finished school, there basically it was institutionalised. And mm. now this was so this was in the early nineties. This was when this kind of deinstitutionalisation was happening, and he was in a group home. But he was very fucked up man. He was older than me; he was in his thirties, and I was mm. in my twenties. But um, he was sexually attracted to small children, mm. and he was quite violent towards female workers and to women workers. And so I'd been kind of assigned to him from my first day. No training or any background in this no, no, at no, all no. whatsoever. You're tall. You're you're tall. You look as if you can handle him physically. And no, not really. I'm no, not, no, you yeah. couldn't. But that's what the, that, that <laughs> yeah. would have been the thinking. He's tall. He's yeah. male. Yeah. And so, and, base, and he attacked me on that first shift. He was meant to be a, a shadow shift, but the other the other worker who'd been working with him was too sick to go, and and I never really worked out. I, yeah, he was quite ill at this man, and I never. I think I only met him once, and ended up basically having to do it by myself. But yeah, I mean this this. Um, this man who was supporting, he just attacked me on that first day. I remember blood running down my arms from where he'd scratched me. And that happened pretty much nearly every shift. And um, and so, yeah, after a few years of it, I was, you know, just completely done my head in. I was oh, like, right. I, have to, I have to stop doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd had, there was a few, you know, my mum died and um, uh, my grandmother died. And, um, and interestingly, a relative of my um, 
grandfather had died. My grandfather died a lot earlier than that. He died in the 80s. But through all this stuff, I inherited some money. I inherited, you know, I think 20 or 30 grand or whatever. Mm. And I thought, I, I can get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And I can do that. And so that's what I did. You did. Mm. And why Melbourne? Um, well, I didn't actually go to Melbourne. I went overseas and, oh. and travelled around for about oh. six months. Oh, and, disgusted. Um, yeah. You went overseas. No, I went overseas. Where, where, where? Um, well, I just did, I did basically the backpacker thing as a, yeah. as a 30 year old rather yeah. than as a 20 something year old. So yeah. I was a bit older than. And um, it was an adventure. And a friend of mine who I'd met in Sydney, he'd done it the year before and he, he'd grown up in Toowoomba mm. and. Um, and he he made his money to travel by his art, which his mum was kind of selling for him. And he uh, he travelled around Europe living in squats. Mm. And I couldn't do that. I wasn't brave enough or to, to, to connect with people like that. But I yeah, just floated around and um, Europe uh, was it mainly Europe? Yeah, Western Europe, and yeah. um, for three months, and then three months living in London with a, a woman, an Irish woman I'd met in um, mm-hmm. when I was in Paris. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and that was yeah, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And then, and then back to... And then back to Australia, and it was two choices. Melbourne, because most of my friends had moved down here. Right. Or Lismore, northern New South Wales, because... Oh, um, yeah, we understand. The, yes. the woman I'd been seeing before I left Australia, that's where she was. And I didn't think there was much future in that relationship, but I wanted to give it a go. And I'd been to that neck of the woods before, you know, at, on a holiday in the early 90s. And that was one of the things I missed in Europe is... Humans have just completely invaded everything and there's nowhere that doesn't have humans in it. And so the the idea of, of bush and and just, I guess I missed it, you know. Mm. I mean, I'm mm. a city boy. I'm not by any means a, a, a backwoodsman. I couldn't, you know, live off the land to, no, to save no, myself. No, no, but, no. but I do, you know... Did, did I did find drawn. To, you know, I was drawn to just being in in a in a space where that was you know a little bit wild. And did you notice the light? The difference in the lights. The the quality of the light. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yes, I think I noticed that in, in Europe because, you know, I'd, I studied art in high school and mm-hmm. um, I stopped because I kept getting told by successive teachers how hopeless I was, <laughs> um, which is interesting. But, um, uh, but yeah, you know, and you see these, these paintings and, and, and the, 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 the sunbeams coming through the, the clouds and, and you just think it's artistic license and then you go there and you go, oh, it actually kind of looks like that in That's a right. way that it just doesn't in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. It, it is it's a big thing when you... When you mm. come back, you mm. just you feel blinded, and the spaces <laughs> you feel giddy. Mm. You know, mm. if you, you know you cross the Nullarbor, you think, "Is this natural? <laughs> <laughs> Where are the people?" Yeah. Okay. So, um, what what did you drift into in Melbourne? In Melbourne, well, mm. before I left Sydney, I um, because no, I, I was sick of Sydney. Well, uh, the, this is this is the lead up. Is like, <laughs> oh. I ended up doing a certificate in alcohol and, and other drug work in right. Sydney before right. I left at Altamont. Well, you're, you're a very you're a very uh, certified gentleman, aren't you? Yeah, you got a diploma I did a, education, I did bachelor a dipl- of science. <laughs> I did a diploma of music while I was in Lismore too, right. that conservatorium. But yeah, so I and I did all these different placements at different um, drug and alcohol related places mm-hmm. in Sydney, including Newtown Needle Exchange. And of all of them, that was the one I thought I want to do that. That's what I want to do. Needle Exchange. Needle Exchange. And so when I got to Melbourne, that's um, you know work wise, that's what I wanted to do. And um, and the other thing was music. So they're the two things that I was focused on when I got here. Um, right. Getting in a band, uh, doing needle exchange work. Why needle exchange work? Um, because. 
unlike all of the other aspects of alcohol and other drug work, it doesn't start from the premise that drug use is wrong and you need to stop. Hmm. It actually says it's not good or bad, it just is. And, you know, you're entitled to make your own choices and, you know, bodily autonomy, you know, um, that idea of of harm reduction where, um, you know, you can't just arbitrarily decide the quality of someone's life based on the, the drugs that they use, that this is actually ridiculous. And so this is a way of working um, around drug use, which just says, you know, it's just people and mm. what, how, what do people need. So what, 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 are you still involved in that? Yeah, yeah. If we, right. it's, I, I've done no, but of, I just want to go back. Yeah. I just want to go a step. So what's your role? How, how do you interact? What's your role at working in the, People think, oh, here you are, some clean needles. Mm. Put the dirty needles there, and that's the end of the interaction. That's when we, when people say needle exchange, mm. that's all they think about. But yeah. you tell us what it actually what the work entails. It's interesting. It's it's about it's about relationships and respect, really. Um, it's so it is to some extent about you know if someone comes in and says can I can I have two uh, that that's that, that, that they lead that they lead the interaction. You know, mm. if they want to talk about something, yeah, we, let's talk. But, but if they don't, you know, they've got something to do. Mm. That's fine too. So mm-hmm. there's no, it is, it is community development work. It is about finding out what people want and need, and then trying to adjust what you do and what you do as a service to meet that. Like mm. Braybrook, for example. Explain a little bit about that. Oh, okay. So that in 2005, uh, I don't really want to say where I worked. But no, 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 no. Yeah. But anyway. You're blowing his cover. I didn't say work. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Anyway, so there, there was this um, place that um, had mm. the potential to have a needle syringe program from there. Mm. A, a purely a point of access. So um, what in Victoria is called a secondary needle syringe program where no no one gets any funding, but that that agency, that site gets um, access to free equipment. Mm. Mm-hmm. Free training for staff and um, you know collection of used equipment and so this was a place that had for a long time there'd been demonstrated need. The people said we want to be able to get stuff from here, but there was an enormous resistance from pretty much every other stakeholder, the workers on the site, the local schools, the local shopkeepers, um, the the councillor whose ward that was in, uh, when I met with him, he actually at one point after, on the second meeting said, look, there's actually no point continuing. Like, I don't really care what the logic is behind your arguments, but I'm always going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> so was, yeah. That was actually probably where I learned that um, logic logic doesn't really play a lot in in deciding things at a political level like That's it's right, really it? it is about it's about people and relationships and power and mm-hmm. not really much to do with what's the right thing to do and how can we do the best for our community like that actually has very little to do with how things get done and yeah, it was mm-hmm. quite an eye-opener yeah but yeah anyway i stuck at it luckily i was given the resources to keep at it and keep at it and after two years build a case that was so strong that um we got it and we got that right. and, um, yeah well so so mm. a lot of people what are the benefits of having a open legalized needle exchange program? Well, it's it's probably the very tip of of a very long um, trail. Where ultimately, I I would hope that we could have a society where 
all drugs are legal, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not um, this um, dichotomy. I mean, basically, it's a start of beginning to tell the story whereby we can show people that the way that drug users are treated in our community is rank prejudice and bigotry as as equal to racism or sexism or any of the other things that are protected by law that, you know, as a society we say, you know what, it's not okay to treat someone differently because no, of their fine. cultural background. I, and this is what yeah, this is. I understand same. all yeah. that. Yeah. But sometimes uh, mm. logic helps. Oh, okay. Right. So what is the benefit of the community? The benefit is inclusion of, of everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's what it comes down to because otherwise um, the drug users are the other right. and, and and they're not included. And, and so if you don't include them, what are what, the negatives? What are the negatives? The negatives are things get worse for them mm-hmm. and then that has a knock-on effect on, mm. on the community around them because, um, you know, that's when people get desperate and that's when people do crazy stuff and mm-hmm. so um, violence... Um, crime, you know, even acquisitive crime, getting your house broken into, um, get, getting robbed. Um, these things increase the more that you exclude this group from society and they decrease the more that you include. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like an extension of a, a social security system. Well, yeah. I mean, the yeah, reason pro- we get funded is just yeah. down to bloodborne virus prevention because the numbers, yeah. there's really strong. You know, John Howard actually increased funding for needle syringe programs during his term because of a return on investment report that was prepared for him. Well, there is return on investment. Yeah. People don't understand yeah. that in terms of personal yeah. health, in terms of the mm. community, in terms mm. of containing mm. disease. Have you, have you been to Portugal? Yeah, I have actually, yeah. Could, could you tell us what well, you think I, of the changes? Well, I went there um, pre-decriminalisation. Right, so right. Um, when I went there, more, uh, you know, as a, as a traveller, uh, one of my goals was don't get arrested in a foreign country. Right. <laughs> Good goal. And so, Good goal. And so I pretty much... Especially um, in Indonesia. So I pretty much avoided, um, yeah. you know, taking uh, illicit drugs or breaking drug laws in any country because, like, you know what? <laughs> I can get them back in Australia, so mm. I don't need to do this. But, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, decriminalisation is a no-brainer. I mean, drug policy is fascinating because we know all these things that... We know we can do all these things and we know they work and we know they make things cheaper for the community, and, and, but they're also political suicide. And it's just... It's a really interesting... Paradox. What yeah. do you think? Of- so decriminalisation is an excellent idea. Yeah, because um, because taking taking a drug is not is not a crime. I mean, in what sense of the word could that be a crime? It doesn't it doesn't even make sense. Mm. Um, it's, it's something that um, we're kind of stuck with. Uh, so there have been positives in the Portuguese um, experience for the community as well. Well, as yeah. The I mean, the the, the the positives are. I think it's quite strong. That you can see, um, you can read any number of reports about it in terms of less crime, less problematic drug use, um, less um, incarceration, less money being wasted on um, law enforcement, and mm. which is really expensive. Oh, it's very expensive. And um, and channeling some of that money into health and welfare systems instead, and yeah. Mm. Mm. So. But as you said, logic doesn't count, does it? Well, no, and it's unfortunate. I remember um, way back when, when the, the Greens kind of were first kicking around, um, you know, they had very strong uh, drug policy and it was around decriminalisation and, and eventual legalisation and, and they were kind of laughed at as being a lunatic fringe and they've had to kind of couch it all in a lot and wind it back a lot over the years you know, just to remain politically viable. And you know, That's right. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Mm. Mm. So what do you think of the 
war on drugs. Well, you know, <laughs> to be cliched, you know, war on drugs is a war against the people, and it's a war against poor people. Yeah. Um, there's two major surveys undertaken in Australia, the injecting drug reporting system and the ecstasy and related drugs reporting system. They're undertaken every year. And in one way, you could see them as a little bit of different class slices because in the injecting drug... ODRS um, recruits through needle syringe programs and main, predominantly um, heroin users and people from um, you know poorer backgrounds, um, sometimes intergenerational poverty and unemployment and heavy drug use, and the EDRS, the ecstasy and related drugs, uh, you know recruits through clubs and dance parties, and it's a bit more middle class the slice that they're getting. And um, one of the thing, one of the questions that is asked is around criminality, and um, so there's questions around you know are you involved in criminal activity, and the levels are the same in the both. Um, in both reports, um, have you been involved with the criminal justice system injecting drug? Heaps higher. So the amount of criminal involvement amongst, uh, in terms of uh, criminal justice system, being being arrested, being incarcerated, mm. amongst the ecstasy and related drug um, cohort is tiny compared to, you know, quite huge amongst the injecting cohort. And so, so this is a clear example of where drug laws are just a way to pick on poor people. Mm. So you're mm. saying if we decriminalise, we can empty the prisons? Well, certainly, to a, sense, to a certain extent. I mean, yeah. I think the percentages in, in women's prisons, it's about 80% of um, women incarcerated for drug-related charges. Mm. And in men's, it's, it's at least 50%. Mm. Um, you know, there's a whole other thing to talk about in terms of male violence and, and the construction mm. of masculinity. I'm, just, I'm going to ask, um, <laughs> yeah, but we're yeah, yeah. running out of time. I'm just going to yeah, ask you that. one question. Yeah. Did, you, did you ever follow up on your... Uh, on your biological parents? Or? Yeah, look, um, I tried. Um, I kind of held back for a while because of the the noise and the discomfort that was caused by my sisters when we were younger. And and then my then my I started looking, and then my my adoptive mother died. So just again, it seemed like something to leave. And and then so I did find out who this woman was. Um, Susan Catherine Harlock is her name, and she was born in. Colac, and I tracked her down to the western suburbs of Sydney. She was living in Girraween, and I wrote her a few letters according to advice on an you know, mm. adoption site. Yeah. And, um, and I know she got them because I eventually was sending them registered, but she never, ever replied. Right. Mm. And then I found out um, in 2006 that she'd actually died in 2004 right. um, from lung cancer. So, um, mm. so I never got to meet her. And yeah. you know, I've probably got some relations out there, and maybe one day I'll... Bite the bullet and try and, and try and find out who they are, but you know, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. And what are your plans for the future? Hmm. <laughs> um, try to keep living a, a considered life. You know, um, try 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 and 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 live my life. You know, experience as much as I can, do as many different things as I can, and do it in a way that is easy on myself and the people around me. You know. Well, what else can you say? <laughs> You've got it all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a plan. Yeah, yeah. You've got a plan. Whether it's, you succeed or not, it's a different matter. You've got a plan. Mm. Well, Andy Sinclair, thank you very much for sharing your no experiences with us. Hopefully it'll uh, change some people's minds about certain issues. We have, a, a cross, <laughs> we have a cross range of listeners. You know, mm. They may think they're radical. Some of them are very conservatives in terms mm. of their attitudes to things like uh, drugs and decriminalising drugs and mm. uh, the fact that you've uh, worked um, almost 20 years, over 20 years in the field, means that you've actually made a difference. Well, I hope so. No, you <laughs> have. You have. You've definitely made a difference. I've never met you before, 
I said, I'll never see you again. <laughs> but, but I can feel that you have made a difference. Nobody stays in the same job for 20 years unless they feel they are getting somewhere. So congratulations mm. and thank you for coming in. Thank you, Empress, for bringing this <laughs> fascinating middle-aged person into the <laughs> Yeah, story. that's all right. Big 5A this year. Cross. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody Just had to meet without your clothes.